You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is with all of his radiant glory locked up in his basement studio, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing this morning? I've had enough of this. I want to go back to having you in the studio so that I can uh, kind of give you a hard time in person instead of over the phone line. Well, I know. I agree. But uh, I'm actually on a regular landline today, so I'm hoping things come through a little better. Much. Absolutely. It's already a lot better. Thank you for doing that. You bet. So before we get started, Zeb, i got to say hi to a couple of people. Okay. Dave in Michigan has 14 grandkids. Oh, my. And, and he's got a brother in Twin Falls, if you can imagine that. Wow. And then Bill, who grew up, grew up in Fort Pierre, and out where he's at, uh, he can still see the wheel ruts of uh, wagons that went through that area. So just want to say hi to Dave and Bill out there that... Uh, wrote to me so you know you are uh listened to via this segment on zev at the ranch uh not only here in the united states but many foreign countries and what are they telling you about some of your historical stories of the old west just you know they just enjoy them that's all you know they just kind of enjoy them and some of them will send me uh uh, information uh, or suggestions for topics or they'll tell me about somebody that I've never heard about so I appreciate getting uh, uh, suggestions and corrections sometimes when I do something wrong which happens on occasion <laughs> as you know so anyway so yeah I, I appreciate their phone calls okay now over the last couple of weeks I've really had a chance to delve into the old western movies man I I've seen about a thousand of them. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Buffalo Drives. Oh. Okay. So picture this. Here, Get this picture in your mind. The glory of the hunt. Okay. A handsome Indian brave, fearlessly mounted on a fine stallion. He sweeps through the herd, downing a shaggy buffalo with a single shaft from his powerful air, uh, bow 
And what greater pleasure could an Indian know? Uh, well, that's not true. <laughs> the picture is false. Now, it was perhaps invented by some uh, Eastern romanticist who had never seen an Indian buffalo drive, never seen the herd uh, or the work that was involved with that. And for a hunt, uh, it was not a glorious pastime. It was dangerous. It was hardworking. Uh, had to be undertaken as a means of preservation. And very few of the old Indian buffalo hunters ever spoke lightly of a hunt. It was, it was hard work. It was dangerous. It was hot. Dusty, all that. It was not a romantic uh, type TV thing. But, you know, not only was the Indian hunter in constant danger from the buffalo uh, that he chased, but he was also vulnerable to attack from enemies. Now, people have probably never thought of that, but you see, each tribe was pretty jealous of the, their hunting grounds. And so sometimes wars broke out uh, over choice hunting areas where, where the buffalo were. And so the need to set up semi-permanent corrals and traps were made, and the possession of a particularly good area uh, was even more important. So the tribes, they had their conflicts just uh, over, over hunting areas. So you're telling me that uh, the Indian tribes basically had problems like the old, oh, back in Missouri, Hatfields and McCoys. In a way, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you think about the hunting areas. They were pretty pretty strict on who got to go where. So uh-huh. there were some battles over that. But, you know, before the Indian uh, acquired either the horse or the gun, they had to devise a means to kill a great number of buffalo at comparatively small risk to themselves. And the most simple of these methods was called the buffalo. They called it a surround. Uh, a small herd was ringed in. And as the animals milled around the circle, they were closed in and gradually shot down. So that was one method where they would just kind of surround them and get them milling around in a circle. Mm-hmm. Now, a refinement on this was the development of the corral-type enclosure with brush wings leading out into the prairie. The buffaloes uh, driven into the corral were there, then killed by the hunters. And the main disadvantage was that uh, the buffalo usually broke through the corrals. I mean, they, you know, all they had was brush and sticks and stuff, so that wasn't real effective either. Now, probably at some early time, an enterprising hunter had witnessed a stampeding herd plunged to its death over the edge of a high cliff. So anyway, the Indians added driving buffalo over these edges to uh, their other methods of hunting. I see. Uh, there's a place called Chugwater Creek in Wyoming, and it is said to have been named for the peculiar sound made by buffalo plunging over the cliff into the water below. I can imagine it would be a different sound. <laughs> it would be, yeah. Uh, talk about a belly flop, man. Oh, my. You know. But anyway, sites ideal for drives of this kind were not common. Uh, several conditions were necessary. The tribe had to be able to camp near the cliff since uh, a drive location was not much benefit if the meat and the hides had to be transported a long distance right. after right. they were killed. Right. And before the coming of the horse, everything had to be transported on the Indian's backs or by a dog with a travoy behind him. Uh, a village traveling on foot moved no more than uh, more often than necessary, and a supply of fresh water and sufficient wood 
to support the village had to be at hand, and the area had to be a favored feeding ground of the buffalo. So taking all those considerations when they're trying to figure out a way to have a buffalo jump. So now running buffalo was developed uh, to kind of a highly specialized art among the Blackfeet up there in Montana. And they usually located their encampment in a valley with a high vertical walls and built a large corral at the base of the cliff. Uh, above on the prairie, large piles of rocks were set up forming a funnel and the narrow end leading to the edge of the cliff directly over this corral. Um, now, when the camp needed meat, a select group of warriors, and they were called Buffalo Watchers. That's what they uh, were named. And they kept watch for a herd of the right size to appear opposite the uh, funnel opening. And when all conditions were right, the buffalo watchers reported the fact back to camp. Now, the buffalo caller, usually the outstanding warrior of the village, then took over. Uh, so he's the, the main guy now. He's directing things. Now, his responsibility was to attract the attention of the animals and get them to follow him in a straight line to the cliff edge. And in preparing for his duty, he painted all the exposed portions of his body with the sacred red earth color. Mm-hmm. So he would blend in. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Uh, before dawn, the older men and most of the women would hide behind these rock piles. They would camouflage themselves with robes or other material that blended with the, with the surroundings so the buffalo wouldn't see them. Now, when everything was ready, the buffalo caller uh, appeared wearing over his hunched head and shoulders a buffalo robe with the tail and hindquarters dragging on the ground. Uh-huh. So it gave him the appearance of a broken-backed buffalo calf. Uh-huh. uh-huh. All right. So if you got the picture, we've got this funnel of rocks and people on both sides. You've got the buffalo collar out in front with this buffalo hide over him, and he's kind of uh, pretending like he's a, a, a calf with a broken back. Now, the collar would go up uh, the center of the funnel, and he would kind of zigzag toward the herd, which uh, they remained undisturbed by his seemingly aimless wandering. They didn't pay much attention. Now, when he had approached within a couple of hundred uh, yards, the caller would pause and give the cry of an injured calf. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to even attempt to, because I don't know what an injured calf sounds like. Uh, keep going, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'm not going to try that one. But anyway, so gaining the attention of an old cow, uh, he continued to give the distress call. Now, if the cow remained motionless, he coaxed her toward him with a kind of a limping, injured gait, pretending like he, he couldn't hardly walk very good. No, 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 wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that this Indian wore a buffalo robe and he's on foot, right? Right. Okay. Yes. Now, don't let me jump too far ahead, but help me a little bit. And then he's going to call the buffalo and get them, the buffalo, maybe 500 to 1,000 head, to follow him towards a cliff, right? You're, you're getting ahead of me, Zeb. Yeah, but you're scaring me. <laughs> okay. Well, keep in mind, you got, you got the picture. So the old cow uh, would kind of start going towards the, the the guy with the buffalo robe. Uh-huh. And other cows would follow the leader, and pretty soon the whole herd was in motion, 
coming to the aid of this calf that was in distress. And the buffalo collar would head straight down the center of the funnel, keeping a pretty close watch behind him, Uh as you could imagine. And as soon as the last of the herd had entered the funnel, the old men and women that were hiding behind the rock piles would start jumping up. They'd start screaming and waving blankets. And uh, the farther the buffalo ran, the more narrow the gap between them and the people became. So uh, this is quite a, quite a sight to behold. Now, that was the moment of kind of the greatest danger of both the caller and the people. Now, the caller had to time his escape just right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because too soon, and the buffalo might swerve to one side or the other and trample some of the people. So it, it was a, a pretty uh, important to be timed just right. Now, when everything was right, he cast aside his buffalo skin and ran behind one of the rock piles. Uh-huh. And I imagine he had to be a pretty fast runner. Now, of course, this was all rehearsed, I'm sure, many, many times to make sure that that buffalo collar was fairly near a pile of rocks to which he could hide himself, correct? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure he had uh, picked out a spot uh, ahead of time. They either picked the fastest guy or the dumbest guy in the tribe. Well... According to them, he was a good warrior. He was the man. He They trusted him. So. We have a caller that has a question about the sanity of your buffalo caller. Hold on just a second. Uh, caller, good morning. You're on the air quickly. There's a, sand, uh, there's a buffalo jump east of Grimmingson, Montana, about six miles. Okay. Uh, I, I think I'm going to talk about that one. Okay. Yeah. He's got that coming up, caller. God bless you. Thank you for your call. Appreciate that. All right, go ahead. So here's the buffalo. They're being driven. They're frantic. They're blinded by the waving of the blankets and the screaming people who suddenly had emerged from uh, an empty prairie, so they thought. So the buffalo, they're rushing to their destruction over the edge of the cliff, Uh falling hundreds of feet into this corral below. And at the foot of the cliff, warriors uh, went in to kill the buffalo that had survived the jump off the cliff. So some of them, they all didn't die when they went over. Now, the whole village gathered to butcher the hundreds of animals, curing meat and tanning hides that would last them for months ahead. Now, the Cheyenne held a buffalo drive pretty similar to that of the Blackfeet. And the Cheyenne buffalo callers were two medicine men who advanced and retreated before the herd, slowly waving eagle wings and singing medicine songs. Uh-huh. They were the ones uh, trying to attract the buffalo. But the buffalo drives were the most popular method of securing meat until the introduction, of course, of guns. And with the coming of the gun, a surplus of hides was accumulated uh, for the first time among the Plains Indians anyway. And although they did not realize it at the time, this surplus kind of forecast the end of the buffalo and the end of free life for the people, because uh, you know what's coming there. Uh, but, you know, the buffalo jumps, uh, they have these archaeological sites, and they've been able to go in there and determine uh, uh, what the Indians used, uh, how they used them for the buffalo for food, for clothing, for shelter. Uh, the Plains Indians in particular depended on the bison for their survival, Every part of the animal could be used mm-hmm. in some way. So, you know, the hides, obviously, for clothes and shelter, 
bones for tools, uh, sinews for bowstrings and laces. The hooves could be ground for glue, and the brains could be used in the tanning process for the hides. And I hadn't—I I think I'd heard that before. Yeah. But the extra meat was preserved as pemmican. Yeah. So they used every bit of the of the buffalo. Now, in one of his journals, uh, Meriwether Lewis describes how a buffalo jump was practiced when they were on their uh, 1805 expedition. And here's what he says. Quote, One of the most active and fleet young men is selected and disguised in a robe of buffalo skin. He places himself at a distance between a herd of buffalo and a precipice proper for the purpose. The other Indians now surround the herd in the back and flanks and at a signal agreed on, all show themselves at the same time moving forward towards the buffalo. The disguised Indian or decoy has taken care to place himself sufficiently near the buffalo to be noticed by them when they take to flight and running before them, they follow him full speed to the precipice. The Indian decoy, in the meantime, has taken care to secure himself in some cranny in the cliff the part of the decoy, I'm informed, is extremely dangerous. Well, now, that that absolutely is the understatement of the year. <laughs> so I'm going to just mention three sites, uh, and I think our caller mentioned one of these. Uh, one of them is called the Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain that. Okay. So the Head Smashed In takes its name from the story of a young pigeon boy who stood under the cliff to get a better view of the buffalo falling over the cliff. Mm -hmm. Well, the young man was soon crushed under the pile of dead buffalo. Holy cow. So that's where they get the term head smashed in, buffalo. But, you know, while the Indian people have inhabited this area around head smashed in for more than 11,000 years, it did not become designated as a national historic site until 1968. Now, I've been there, Zeb, and it's, it's just, if you go up through uh, Montana, up into Canada, past uh, uh, Glacier National Park, uh, past, I think, Cardston, there's, they have an interpretive center, and it was officially opened by the Duke and Duchess of York, uh, Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson in 1987, and it's actually built into the side of the cliff. So I would encourage anybody, if you ever get a chance to go up in that area, to uh, go visit that amazing uh, 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 visitor center yeah. that they have. Now, there's another one called the Om Pishkin Buffalo Jump, and it's likely the largest buffalo jump in the world. It was used by the Indians in the area between 900 and 1500 A.D. Uh, the cliffs themselves stretch for more than a mile, and the site below has been has compacted bison bones nearly 30 feet deep. Oh, my. So you know that, uh, you know, that's been used for hundreds of years. And the uh, Om Pishkin Buffalo Jump uh, is located in a place called the First People's Buffalo Jump State Park in Cascade County, Montana. Now, that also might have been the one that our uh, caller in was talking about as well. Absolutely. Another one that I'm going to mention is called the Madison Buffalo Jump. State Park is a Montana State Park in Gallatin County, Montana. Uh, the park is 638 acres, 
and sits at an elevation of 4,500 feet. And the park is named for a canyon cliff used by the Indians as a buffalo jump. Now, I think I disagree with all these parks named after the buffalo. I think they should be named after the buffalo callers. And I think outside on the gate of all these parks, there should be a pair of moccasins with holes in them that showed that he was burning the bottom of his soles trying to get the heck out of the way. You know, just like we have a uh, National Hall of Fame for cowboys and basketball players and everything, they ought to have one for the buffalo callers. They ought to give that guy, whoever the guy was that was a buffalo caller, they ought to give him the, well, I don't know, the key to the teepee or something. I mean, holy yeah. cow. Yeah, well, this Madison uh, buffalo jump, uh, they claim say it's been used for 2,000 years by the Indians. Uh, and it's a, it is a day-use-only park, but it's open year-round for hiking and picnicking and stuff like that. So. Folks, if you ever get out there to some of these buffalo jumps, uh, and especially the only one I've been to is the one up in Canada, and yeah. it uh, it was pretty amazing. I highly recommend people to head up and, and go into there. Head them up, move them out. And, uh, of course, now you were quite an athlete, I understand, in high school. Maybe you could uh, be the buffalo caller on a reenactment. You know, if I really jumped, if I really jumped hard, sometimes I could hit the bottom of the net in the ba- in basketball. <laughs> about as high as I could jump. I'll tell you what, when you got a thousand head of buffalo on your little tutu, you're going to jump as high as you want to jump. Yeah. Now, Zeb, I, uh, you know, you always ask me, what am I going to talk about next week? Yes. I have got some more information that I'm going to talk about uh, a particular hunter, uh, buffalo hunter, and the buffalo. So I, next week, I'm going to kind of continue in this uh, uh, this vein of about the buffalo. It sounded a lot better. Thank you, and I really appreciate that. And uh, I didn't. Now, I want to ask you one quick question. Give me a short answer because I'm out of time. So, like in the movie uh, Dances with Wolves, where they were running alongside and shooting them with arrows, that's really kind of Hollywood. Not really what happened. Well, I, I think no. I think that did happen, but uh, it was a lot harder work than than I think the movies portray. I see. So. No, they, they once they did have horses, yeah, they could. And, but but then a lot of times they even had guns. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. I don't know how accurate uh, or how long they actually used arrows, you know, from horseback. Okay, I got to run. I'm late, but God bless you, Doctor History. Thank you for being on the air this morning. Great job, great job. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.